When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the longest time, I felt like I couldn't really talk about my Lebanese identity or Arabic music with people who weren't of the community. It was very difficult. And then on the flip side, we'd go to Lebanon and I was nicknamed the American and have to justify being American. And then suddenly I'm like, no, wait a second. I love George Bush. Then I'm like, wait a second. What's happening? Why am I saying this? Right. And <laughs> it's such a weird thing that you start to navigate is you're questioned in both of the places that you consider home. And that's tough for anyone. But I think especially for people who are younger, who are going through all sorts of changes. And so definitely felt like I had to hide pieces of that to people who just wouldn't understand. My name is Danny Hajar, and I'm a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you for all of us. On today's show, we're talking to Danny Hajar, a media relations professional in Washington, D.C. Danny's a friend of a friend. I, I first met him through friend of the pod, Safe, a.k.a. the musician Souf. And, and Danny's also a music lover, although not a music creator. But he's really passionate about hip-hop artists in the Middle East and North Africa, and honestly, the growth of their music beyond the region. He actually curates music and stories in his weekly newsletter, Sa Aluni Alnes, which I've actually come to love, not knowing as much about the region and the music beyond what I'm hearing in like Moon Knight episodes on Disney+. Plus. I would definitely check out his newsletter if you just kind of want to get a flavor for what else is going on. But him and I had never really scratched below the surface. It was a lot of fun to have him on the show. What do you think, Sharon? I really liked him. I always love it when we meet friends of friends of friends and say if we love you and we, we've loved all of the friends that you've introduced us to. Um, what I love a lot about Danny is... He he's a great example of how music can bring people together. And I expected him as a tastemaker to have a very specific point of view about music or to only like certain artists. And the fact that Backstreet Boys was the first album that he bought kind of tickled me a lot because I was a huge Backstreet Boys fan growing up. This is a safe space. This it's podcast a safe, is a safe space. space. Yes. <laughs> so it was just really great to chat with him. He's got great energy. I love the stories that he told. And I think you guys are going to really love our conversation with Danny. Danny, it's so great to have you today on Modern Minorities. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here with y'all. Danny, I'm sure you probably get asked this a lot, but where are you from? <laughs> where am I from? Where am I from from? <laughs> <laughs> 
where are you really from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny. I saw something on Twitter. Somebody said, you know, I hate getting asked that question. And now I'm asking people, how do you identify? Which I thought was a really interesting way to approach that question. Yeah. But I like comic books. So that's how I identify. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but to answer your question, I, uh, I was born and raised just south of Boston, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. But uh, my parents moved to the United States from Lebanon. So my roots are there, but I am a proud Bostonian some days. <laughs> are, you, are you a Red Sox fan? I am a Red Sox fan. It's a tough year for us this year. I don't want to talk about I can't talk about that. <laughs> I got to ask, though, because, you know, all three of us, we kind of have parents from another place. How did you kind of balance that? How did you balance the Lebanese identity and the kid from Boston identity growing up? Were there a lot of trips back? Was there like different music playing in your house when your friends came over? Can you tell us some, some stories from growing up in Boston? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my parents were very uh, keen on making sure that I and my younger sister uh, were in touch with our Lebanese identity. English was forbidden in the house. We only spoke Arabic. So that was one one really good way. We talked to my cousins, my aunts, uncles, grandparents, you know, all the time. We would make a lot of trips back to Lebanon. Almost every summer, we would spend four months out of the year in Lebanon. So to me, it kind of felt like the academic school year was in the U.S. And then it, <laughs> once that was over, we went right to, right to Beirut. So that was kind of nice. But yeah, I mean, musically, my parents kind of had a whole range of things. It wasn't just Arabic music. I mean, sure, we definitely had a lot of Arabic music and a lot of a lot of those artists. But, you know, my dad was really into Julio Iglesias and the Gypsy Kings. And my mom was really into ABBA, the Bee Gees. That's rad. Um, musicals. So we were really surrounded from a young age by a whole host of different genres and like any good minority kid, we grew up playing instruments. So <laughs> I, you know, I learned how to play the piano and like that brought a whole different genre and appreciation, I think, for music. So we very much grew up in a, in a musically inclined house, uh, which was really nice. You know, you know, it's funny just to pick on that stereotype because I don't think Indian people, I don't think we did the instruments as much as like East Asians and I mean, I, I can't speak for the 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 Middle Eastern d- diaspora <laughs> if the instruments thing was a thing. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's like you got to play an instrument. Yeah, and it has to be a classic instrument. It's got to be a violin, wow. a piano, yeah. something like this. Yeah, and it's just everybody that I know in the community is like, oh yeah, I had to. I learned how to play this, and it's like, oh, were you forced to? Or did you want to? <laughs> and so there's a lot of that. <laughs> I took piano lessons for four years, and then I quit. And I can play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And that's kind of it. And chopsticks. That's my that's my claim to fame. <laughs> that's awesome. What do you want to be when you grow up? Wow, what did I want to be? That's a really good question. My my mom claims that I always <laughs> my mom claims that I always wanted to be an ambassador, which feels like a very specific thing for a young kid to want to be. But I feel like that's in some ways kind of true. I was always interested in international relations, how countries, nations, peoples, communities uh, interact with each other. I mean, I think that obviously 
speaks to kind of the having one foot in the U.S. and one foot in Lebanon sort of identity that every yeah. kind of kid in the diaspora has, whether you're Lebanese or not. Like that's just the third culture thing that you're always trying to navigate, right? Yeah. So I was always interested yeah. in that. What did mom and dad want you to be? You know, I got to say, this is where I can defeat the stereotype. My parents were just happy with me being whatever I wanted to be. And I am very grateful wow. for them. And I'm very, yeah, they didn't push me to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, none of that. You know, they said, if you really like this, and you want to go for it and you want to excel, then go for it. Um, so I'm very grateful to them for that because I know that that's not, that's not the typical experience that I hear from other people. Yeah. And sometimes it has to be a little bit of a rebellion or proving them wrong if you, if you choose to like leave the, the holy trinity of like doctor, lawyer, engineer. Exactly. How often did you go back to Lebanon when you were a kid? Oh, every summer. We would go back every summer up until I was about 18. We literally would go and spend four months from May up until the end of August and just be there. So I really appreciated that. I, I appreciated feeling as though I was still part of not just my family or anything. Obviously, I'm part of the family, but mm-hmm. feeling part of the community and making friends and people that weren't related to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to know them and have a group there, you know, so. Now, when I hit 18 and went to college and everything, it was a little bit harder because... Slows down, yeah. Yeah, slows you down. You got to take internships and jobs. And then you have to really think about your career and whatever. Um, So that starts to take over. But, you know, still tried to go back as much as I can. It's it's really nice to be able to go back and and see everybody. I got to ask, because... And this this is me, the American, asking this. Like, that 18-year period, I would assume, kind of in the same age demographic but like those 18 years of every summer going back stuff was happening in lebanon like how did you i mean i know you're just going home to see your family but like not only how did you navigate that going back as a family and what were your experiences as a kid growing up and seeing that and then also coming back and having to try to explain that to your friends did you have to because i mean lebanon continues to be off and on in the headlines every several years right something's happening how did you how did you navigate that? How did you process that as a kid? Yeah, that's a fair question. I mean, it's funny because not as much was happening in Lebanon as there was globally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We knew about what was going on in Lebanon because obviously we want to pay attention to what's happening. So for us, it was a big deal. But if I went and asked friends or whatever, they didn't really know. They weren't paying attention like that. Now, when 9-11 hit, yeah. then suddenly people were very interested in, in who I was and where <laughs> yeah. I was going and all that fun stuff. And people still are, frankly. But it wasn't so much questions about Lebanon. It was more, oh, why are you going to the Middle East? What are you doing over there? Why were you there for so long? (laughs) And I was like... No, the classic uh, passport control questions. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. Me and TSA, we're best friends. When I come back into the Atlanta airport from like my backpacking days when I was younger, I would always have a collared shirt, my Alabama hat, and I'd be clean shaven and smiling. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's the thing is we joke about it, but because we uh, process trauma through comedy. So yeah, it's real. It's really real. Yeah. You know, we had for a long time, it was, you know, OK, don't speak Arabic. If, uh, you know, TSA folks, passport control asks you any questions, only my parents are allowed to speak. We could not answer our own questions. It was very like, shut your mouth, answer the question as if you were being prepped by a lawyer to hit the witness stand. It was very much mm. that kind of mentality. No Arabic in the airport, no Arabic in public, um, which mm. was kind of tough. It was very hard. And that was at that was after two thousand one. 
or even before that? Yes, this was uh, after 2001. Yeah, sorry. Okay. I should clarify that um, very much after 2001. Which sucks because, you know, like the parents having the language, uh, like whether we were at a pizza restaurant or buying a washing machine, my parents would like break out the Hindi to like talk their strategy on how totally. to negotiate yeah. or like talk trash about the people, have their secret conversation in public. You see this happen with people of every language. All the time. And to be robbed of that superpower. <laughs> sucks. I mean, yeah. Even if we wanted to tap into that superpower, it was through whispering. So <laughs> we'd whisper yeah. to each other in Arabic right. about how to do all those things. <laughs> Yeah. And that was kind of it. There, the only safe spaces that we really had were other family friends wow. um, yeah. or distant relatives who also spoke the language and we were just among them. Then we could, you know, obviously be ourselves. But yeah, it was tough. Did you ever encounter that as a kid growing up where you felt as if there were parts of you that you couldn't share because people around you didn't understand it? Oh, absolutely. I, for the longest time, felt like I couldn't really talk about my Lebanese identity or Arabic music with people who weren't of the community. Mm -hmm. It was very difficult. And then on the flip side, you'd go to, <laughs> we'd go to Lebanon and then I'd have my friends who would call me, I was nicknamed the American. And then I'd have to justify, <laughs> I'd have to justify being American. And then suddenly I'm like, no, wait a second. I love George Bush. Then I'm like, wait a second, what's happening? Why am I saying this? And right. I'm like, I don't actually love this person at all, but you, it's, it's such a weird, uh, it's such a weird thing that you start to navigate is, you know, you're not really, I don't want to say accepted, but you're questioned in, in the, both of the places that you consider home. Right. And that's tough for, for anyone, but I think especially for people who are younger, for young children, kids, adolescents who are going through all sorts of changes, obviously. So, you know, I definitely felt like I had to hide pieces of that to people who just wouldn't understand. Yeah. 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 Well, so on top of just being a teen immigrant kid in America, right? And facing all of this extra layer, right? Uh, in the early 2000s. I, this is kind of a leading question because of I me mean, knowing who you are and the work that you do. Like, how did music play a role helping you through that? Yeah, I mean, music has always been an escape for me, for just a way to feel emotions in ways that I couldn't express them with my words. Mm -hmm. Couldn't explain it, but somehow I can point to a song and say, you know what, this song makes me feel the way that I'm feeling right now. Mm -hmm. And that's really helpful. Mm. But also music was a way to feel joy and feel happiness. And, you know, I, I think that's what it is. Music allowed me to feel and then pick whatever emotion you want. And that was what um, music was for me for the longest time. It's a cool thing when an artist that is incredibly famous, you don't know them personally, you know nothing about them, whatever it may be, is able to harness that exact same emotion or exact same feeling that you're feeling and it's like wow this person is speaking to me yeah that's such a beautiful thing and you know for me personally it was at the time growing up it was music in both english and in arabic which i love i could be a little kind of go between the two languages but then as i got older it was oh i don't have to really know the language to know the beauty of a song mm -hmm. you know and that's i think that's even more beautiful um, you know, I love reggaeton, for example, I can't, I couldn't speak a word of Spanish to you, but I love mm -hmm. reggaeton. Like I, and I can mm -hmm. understand like the power that that genre harnesses for a lot of different reasons. So things like that, it's just music has just been that outlet for my life. 
who who were some of the artists during those years that that got you through it? No, that's no, that's embarrassing. I can't tell y'all that. <laughs> come on, come on. Oh my gosh, was uh, it Backstreet Boys? Just kidding. <laughs> actually, you know, the Black and Blue album was the first album that I ever bought with my own money. No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember I was super obsessed with the Call uh-huh. at the time, uh-huh. and I was like, "Yo, I need this album," and I bought. Uh, it was that album, and I bought the Three Doors Down Kryptonite album when Kryptonite was massive. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so yeah. those were, yep. yeah, 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 yeah. But those artists, oh man! I mean, <laughs> Omarion was very big, <laughs> big through my headphones. Yo was also someone that I was like, wow, I can really. Mm-hmm. Keisha Cole, a lot of those kind of R and B artists of the <laughs> of the early and mid two thousands. Uh, Mario. Mario, I mean, Mario still is just, whew, you know, like things like that was what I was kind of gravitating toward. But also, I mean, if we're talking the early 2000s, I got to mention hip hop. I'd be remiss not to talk about, you know, 50 Cent, the whole G-Unit crew, mm-hmm. Eminem, like all these, all these artists that were massive. Hip hop and R&B were the genre that I gravitated toward mm-hmm. personally. So that helped me think through a lot of different things. And feel a lot of different emotions so yeah so you know as a teenager as a 20 year old in like the nascent internet era you had to go to sam goody and buy your cd or your oh sam goody i love sam goody shout (laughs) out sam goody sorry i miss sam goody yes rest in peace no but but at the same time you were starting to also adopt arab music into like your head culture, right? So how are you doing that? Because it wasn't just what your parents were listening to. Like, how did you get the access to those tapes and those CDs in this kind of nascent internet era? Yeah. Um, you know, when we would go back to Lebanon there, we, we would stay at my grandmother's house and there was this um, person not too, you know, not too far away, like walking, who kind of had his own little kiosk, for lack of a better <laughs> word, of... Uh, <laughs> Just, that probably sounds generous to what this guy's thing was. Yeah, like, <laughs> but it was all bootleg CDs. And he'd be like, yo, yeah. I'll, give you, I'll give you all these CDs for like $5. And I was like, yeah, of course. And they were all new. It was all new artists. So I would just buy whatever I was listening to on the radio and just buy the entire album. Because back then, if <laughs> you know, y'all remember, whenever a single dropped, you had to buy the entire album just to get the single. Now it's like you can pick and choose whatever song you want. So I miss the old days of that because then you were kind of forced to listen to all the other songs that were part of that album. Well, I got to admit, man, I'm, I'm very biased. This is where I'm an old man. I am so biased to the album versus the single because like the album tells a story and, you know, there's a lot of work putting into the person. Yeah, I don't know, man. I- I'm, I'm all about the album because to your point, then you get to hear those other Pearl Jam songs that aren't on the radio. You know, you're finding out secrets as you go. Yeah, absolutely. And albums now, I mean, there are some artists that are, that I think still appreciate the art of the album. And I'll give them that. Mm. There are a lot of other artists that are putting 60 songs on an album. And I'm like, who has time for this? And like in real, in <laughs> there's, there's no editorial control songs. Right? Yeah. They don't have a good producer. <laughs> yeah. And in real life, like that's like five CDs. That's how yeah, I still think about it. Even though no one lot. used to see it's CDs anymore. Like, yeah. Yeah, you need a limit. Yeah. You need a constraint, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, but back to your original question, that's how I got, you know, into Arabic music was I would just buy a ton of CDs from this guy and he knew me, he knew <laughs> I was coming. We like, we had a little bond. It was really nice. Um, and I just had a ton of bootleg CDs of different, uh, Arab artists and, uh, 
and all that. So that's that was my connection there. Have you ever thought about making your own music? Uh, I have, and I quickly shot that idea down. <laughs> I yeah, you know what? I tried. I really tried as a as a kid to get into the very early. Yeah, I mean back then, like Fruity Loops and all these other software didn't exist. It was, I think, just GarageBand. So I tried on GarageBand when it first came out mm-hmm. to play with different loops and different sounds and whatever. But I realized really quickly, you know what? This is not. This is not what I want to do, and this is not me. And I'd rather hear what other people have to do. And for me, what what I started doing instead was DJing. So oh, I would just cool. DJ, yeah, just like and just mix uh, songs and mix artists together. That was kind of the way I went about it. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads to to your interest. You know, through a mutual friend, uh, Safe, who's you know friend of this pod, I, I discovered your Substack and. Um, you know, Sa Aluni Alness, which I'm apologizing for the terrible English pronunciation of that. But like, no, no, you did great. You did great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, but like, what is it and why? Because what I gather, like, and I read it, I don't read everyone, but now that I subscribe, like, I flip through it and I, I discover things that I wouldn't have discovered, right? Your take and your curation of the world. And I love newsletters that do great curation and introduce me to things that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. But it's this idea of curating music and stories. Like, first, what, what does it mean? And, why did you migrate to that? Like, walk me through that a little bit. Yeah. So, Salunianes, that translates to the people asked roughly. It's at, it's named after a very famous um, song by a Lebanese singer. Her name is Feirouz. And so I thought that was a very appropriate title for a newsletter. Like, people ask me. I don't know who those people are, but I'm hoping that they ask me something. Um, so I went <laughs> with it. And I have been toying with that idea for a little bit to create a newsletter um, about music and artists and what's happening in the region and in the diaspora, because, you know, for a lot of us, it can feel overwhelming when you're trying to just understand what's going on outside of sort of the pop music that I think a lot of people in the diaspora especially grew up on and who their parents grew up on and all that. Um, I wanted to create that newsletter as a way to do that. But I think what I really appreciate mostly is, you know, having different guests on there that are either in the region, in the Middle East, North Africa, um, or in the diaspora who are doing really cool things. Uh, it doesn't have to be music related, just really cool things in general. But then ask them about their music, ask them about their go-to song. I think it's a way to humanize people. Yeah, But also it just shows we all have some sort of connection to music. And I love when people say, oh, I picked this song because it reminds me of this very specific moment in my life that changed everything. And from there, you just learn more and more about people. And um, I love that. I Personally, I love that. Um, I think that's that's a really beautiful thing. Well, yeah, because some of the things I've noticed in it is, yes, there's all the things I've never heard of that are being mentioned. But then there's those touchstones in those moments, like where someone references just something in call it modern pop culture, right? And it's like, oh, okay, we're not so different, right? Like it's those, we have differences and we don't have differences because we're all kind of impacted. I don't want to say I don't like the monoculture to be clear, but the monoculture, we all have a perspective on it sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting too, because, you know, you've got people who say, oh, I picked a very, you know, very traditional, you know, Arabic song as something that I, you know, that reminds me of home and or something that's very obscure that, gets me in my feels but then the question that i love is what song you know all the words to and almost everybody's like oh mariah carey 
<laughs> oh, you know, like, and, you know, whether you're Arab or not Arab or Middle Eastern or Southwest Asian, whatever or not, we all know Mariah Carey. Like, yeah. you can connect on some levels. Like, yeah, like, I know Honey. I love that song. I know all the words to Honey. That's perfect, you know? So it's really cool to connect with people that way. And now, a word from our sponsor, the Department of Health and Human Services. Wait, what? Didn't we already encourage everyone to get their vaccine? And boosters. Of course. And boosters, dude. What do you think this is? Amateur hour? Sure thing, Sharon. But as you can tell from the leaves outside, it's autumn. I live in LA. As the rest of us can tell from the leaves outside, it's autumn, aka my favorite time of the year. Ah, yes. Autumn. A time for harvest festivals and family reunions. Don't you mean mid-autumn moon festivals? And festivals of light. And football season. Okay, dude, enough with the sci-fi fake news. We all know you're just watching more Star Wars, Game of Thrones, and Lord of the Rings after your kids are asleep. Okay, okay, fine. But all that other non-streaming stuff this fall involves family and friends. That's right. And if you're planning on getting together with your family, you should protect yourself and them by getting an updated COVID vaccine. If you're 50 or older, you're at the greatest risk for hospitalization and death, especially if you have a chronic disease. This is literally something my better half and I have been talking about for the fall before we see our parents again. Same here. So we want to make sure all of you, our ridiculously smart and influential favorite podcast listeners, get your latest, greatest COVID vaccine. That's right, Sharon. COVID is still serious stuff. So we've all got to do everything we can to keep ourselves and the people we love to. Because honestly, we ain't the spring chickens we used to be. COVID is no joke. So we all have to do our part to protect ourselves, our families, and the communities we work and live in. Protect all of our tomorrows this fall with a vaccine today. The COVID-19 vaccine is safe, effective, and free. Talk to a doctor if you have any questions. You can find vaccines and boosters near you at vaccines.gov. We can do this together. This spot was paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, who we are big fans of. But now, back to our show. Do your parents read your newsletter? They do, yeah. They're big, they're yeah? big fans. They're super supportive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They read it. You know, once a week, I'll get either a text or an email from my mom saying, great job. Really love this week's newsletter. Really love this week's guests. My dad, you know, when, when we chat on the phone, it'll be like, wow, your guest feature, very accomplished. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that person is good for them. <laughs> Hopefully you are making money. <laughs> it's not for love of the game. It's not for love of they, the game. They are so supportive. Yeah, they're super supportive. Because I got to tell you, our moms do not listen to this podcast. Really? No. Why not? Our sisters do. Our sisters do. Our, that. Sisters Our sisters do. I think my dad does once, or he did in the beginning. He's like dropped off since. Roman, I think your dad does though, right? No, my dad listens to my other podcast. Oh, he doesn't care one. about this one. Yeah. And he's like, you know, for the past couple of years prior to getting back into the game, uh, like um, now, like in, back into tech startups after taking a couple of years to be creative and consulting. But I, I, one of the podcasts I launched was like all these like business leaders. And my dad would listen to one or two. He's like, why didn't you ask them for a job? And I nice, was like, Dad, that's nice. not the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. Well, shout out to your families. They should be listening to this podcast too. They um, should. Uh, they should. No, I don't know. This one gets me into trouble. Sometimes my sister's like, that's not how that happened. Yeah, totally it's true. Well, yeah, I, I make up like fake ha family histories here and things like that. <laughs> it's just not true. I love that. But the irony is our email address is hi mom 
at modmypod.com because we're like, no one's going to listen except our moms. Turns out our moms do not listen to our podcast Oh my gosh, that's... They got shit to do, man. <laughs> that's they're, they're, they're social creatures. <laughs> D- Danny, something I got to ask about, and you know, our mutual friend Safe and I, we, we text about a lot of pop culture stuff. And um, I'm just going to be my comic book nerd self with you. Like, you know, obviously I watched Moon Knight. I watched Miss Marvel. And I know a lot about Mark Spector. I know a lot about Kamala Khan as a comic book reader. But the things that just like blew me away about both shows was the music. And I was texting, say, for our mutual music buddy. And, you know, he was like, you got to check out the kind of stuff Danny's writing about this. Can you, I mean, beyond just like your hot takes of the moment, but like, man, the music is just so good. It just like unlocked, a, like, I, I, I don't even know what to say, but I'd just love to get your reaction to kind of pop culture's adoption of really damn good Arabic music that's coming out right now. Yeah, well, first of all, shout out to Save. Uh, that's my guy, and he's dropping some really dope new music. So I hope people listening to this check it out. But yes, Moon Knight, wow, what a that thing blew me away. And I am not a comic book person. I'm not a uh, well versed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah. uh, as I probably should be. So I kind of watched this because of another friend of mine hyped it up a lot. He had gotten early access to some of the screeners. And he said, you need to watch this. It's going to blow your mind and all that. It's heavily Egyptian. I was like, all right, cool. Let's watch it. Yeah. The music, I mean, never, never in my wildest dreams would I have ever thought that I would hear that music in a big budget Western produced program, film or TV or, or, or otherwise. By Disney, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about the company that made Aladdin. Okay. Yeah. That was our representation <laughs> for the longest time. So, and like, you know, I still love Aladdin. I'm not going to lie to y'all, but like, I recognize that obviously it's Orientalist and it's there, you know, all this, but mm-hmm. yeah, with Moon Knight, all the creatives from the director to the production, to the uh, music consultants, to a lot of the actors and everything, all Egyptian, which is massive. And when you have a team like that, that is of the culture and understands the nuances and can tell that story and can choose music that helps tell that kind of fits the scene. I should say mm-hmm. that speaks volumes. That makes a huge difference instead of just picking some random, whatever song that vaguely sounds middle Eastern or whatever. And it yeah, doesn't yeah, fit yeah. it at all. The 24 music trap, as I call it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually though, you know, the the director, Mohammed Diab, and his wife were the ones that were uh, very much kind of in control of the music and, and oversaw sort of the music selection. And mm. I mean, they really um, spanned the gamut of classic Egyptian songs yeah. to very modern Egyptian songs, songs that there was one song that had that was in Moon Knight that had literally just been released maybe three or four months before. And I was mm-hmm. shocked personally. I was like, oh, wow, they're really up to date here. So it's cool. It's cool to hear that. It's cool to be able to finally see that and hear our music that way and for our music to be exposed to other audiences um, that, you know, otherwise would not have listened to it. Well, I mean, one other thing that I learned in the article you wrote, and we'll put a link in the show notes, both to your newsletter, but the specific article is there's a type of music that is, is I think it's like suppressed or banned in Egypt Mm -hmm. that like the directors decided to like, you know, make a statement by putting in the, can you, can you explain that to folks? Cause I think that's just fascinating to me. And it's, it's the power of pop culture sometimes. Yeah. So there is a genre of music in Egypt called Maharaganet, which roughly translates 
to festivals in English, um, mainly because this music is played at big events, weddings, whatever, that sort of thing. It's low tech. It's kind of the, the production is very raw. The lyrics are incredibly explicit. Frankly, you know, just to be upfront, they can be uh, misogynist, mm. but it has galvanized so much attention and popularity, not just in Egypt, but I think regionally across North Africa and parts of the Middle East too, that it's, it's popularity and everything is undeniable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The problem is those lyrics and those, the topics that they choose to sing about you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever, that's not typically sung in Arabic music or especially popular music. So the Egyptian musician syndicate moved very quickly to ban the genre, ban certain artists from performing in Egypt, um, that sort of thing. And so, you know, when you're hearing that genre uh, included in Moon Knight in a scene like that, that's the director saying, this is Egyptian, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is part of who we are. This is part of our identity. Um, and I think because he was able to include, again, a whole host of different genres and things of Egyptian music, um, that speaks volumes to say, we're going to include this too. This is Egyptian. This is who we are as part of our identity. That's, that's a, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. So, um, it was really cool to be able to hear that. Yeah. It's like, you, you can't define, you can't define what the culture is, right? Yeah. I mean, to, to, to deny Mahraganet, Mahraganet is typically sung by people who I would say, uh, are of a lower socioeconomic class, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. They, these are people that are born in, into poverty, um, they're not getting a lot of assistance from the Egyptian state or anything like that. So the music that they're making is they're talking about their own experiences. So to <laughs> deny that entire genre is to deny their experience. We can't, we could never do that. And I would say that of any genre, mm -hmm. you know, for me, it's very just sacrilegious to ban a genre. Now there are genres that I don't necessarily listen to. Like I'm, you're not going to see me listening to country music. I'm not going to sit here and say we need to ban all country music because you got to respect that that genre speaks to people and speaks to people's experiences, for example. Yeah. So it was cool to hear that in, in Moon Knight, for sure. If you could give your past self a piece of advice, that guy trading CDs at the kiosk when you're back in Lebanon, what would you tell him? We're going to be all right. <laughs> you're <laughs> you're going to be just fine. Um yeah. Uh, what would I tell my younger self? I mean, I definitely would tell them we're going to be all right, but I think I would also just tell them, follow your dream, follow your passion and you will be, you will be just fine. You will be okay. Protect your energy. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm saying that now because after two and a half years <laughs> and counting of this pandemic, I'm like, wow, I really need to protect my energy out here. But I would definitely tell that, tell my younger self to protect his energy just because, you know, you tend to do a lot of different things. You tend to do things to make other people happy mm -hmm. and not necessarily yourself. And so that would be my biggest advice is to do things that make you, that make you happy. Yeah, man. It's something I, you know, probably since about the moment we first met several months ago, that's been going on in my own head, like how to keep the plates spinning, but make sure why are you spinning the plates? What are the right plates to be spinning? You know, uh, it's something I think about a lot more, you know, working on this pod, the day job, parenting, everything like that. So, well, Danny, I feel like we could talk for hours and hours. And I, frankly, I love kind of getting to talk to you by reading your newsletter every week. But um, I think we 
got a few more minutes, uh, but I don't know, Sharon, you think Danny's ready for speed round? Danny, I think you're ready. I think you've earned a speed round. Oh, bring it. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, boy, the false confidence. No one's ever ready for speed round, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> what is something about you that no one expects? Oh, wow. You're right. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> uh, that no one expects? Whew. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think people expect that I played the piano hmm. for a long time. I think every time that I dropped that knowledge, people were like, wait, what? And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I know how to play the Godfather theme song. Like, that's my thing. I know how to play that. And that was one that I really wanted to learn as a kid. And is that because a piano is like such a it, it's a classical instrument and you're like way too cool for that? Is that why? Yeah, I think so. I think people are just like, wait you like classical music? And I'm like, yes, right. I like classical music. I know I wear hoodies and whatever. And you may assume that I only like rap, but I like a whole host of stuff, you know? So yeah, I, I think that's, that's I, the one. I had a buddy, I had a buddy in college who was classically trained on the piano and he would use that as a super superhero weapon to like totally like pick up girls at a bar. If he saw a piano, you know, and he did, oh, you know, he wasn't the tallest yeah. guy. He wasn't the best looking guy, but man, he'd be like, Hey, sit down next to me. I want to show you something. And then yeah, it's just game over. That's that was like pretty sexy. Weapon. You know what? I mean, I'm married <laughs> That's now. That's why you should teach that, your boys to play the piano. Yeah, sure. that is a great yeah. way to pick up a woman. Wow. I would have fallen <laughs> for that. <laughs> I'm going to tell you all right now, that did not work for me personally. Oh, no. But that's good to know that that works <laughs> in general for others. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the Godfather theme isn't the right song to play. <laughs> yeah, that's not really a mood setter. You know what I mean? That's more <laughs> right, like a, oh. Right. Yeah. something's about to go down here yeah <laughs> danny uh what's a, a book or movie that has characters that you relate to oh man i feel like i'm gonna <laughs> my big fat greek wedding hands down <laughs> that is that is my family that is i feel like every ethnic family. person saw that movie and are like they saw themselves totally in it. oh 100%. oh my gosh but it's so funny because Watching it before I got married, I would laugh at the movie and and say, oh, my gosh, haha, this is so funny. Now, having gone through, you know, planning a wedding and what that looks like and having been married for a few years now, I watch that movie and I say, dang, this is triggering. I cannot right. look at this movie the same way anymore because I'm like, oh, my God, now I remember when this happened with me. Right. Um, but that right, but I, I got to ask, and I, I wouldn't have asked this normally, but because you brought up that movie, was your partner... Uh, from the culture or from another culture? And was was she like just thrown into it? Yeah, my wife is uh, Cuban. So, okay. mm -hmm. you know, it, it has similar elements, you know, big families, yeah, yeah. that yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. But yeah, it was a culture shock for her to have to, I mean, we did the whole thing. Like we both went to Lebanon together. She had to meet the whole family. And she was like, oh my God, is this your family? I was like, no, this is just my dad's side. So funny. it was, that's so funny. <laughs> you know, things like just that. call everyone uncle and auntie and you'll right, be okay. Exactly. Yeah, literally. And then she got the whole, oh, well, she looks Lebanese. I'm like, okay, whatever makes you happy. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. She's passable, right? Yeah. Yeah. Literally. That was, yeah. 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 <laughs> what is your favorite mom dish? Oh, man. You know, my mom used to make this uh, chicken and macaroni baked like dish and uh bechamel sauce oh yeah that i really i live for that i really live for that it's really really good anytime that she made that i was like okay it's, it's gonna be a good day today yeah it's a special day that sounds like the ultimate comfort food and in college she would freeze 
freeze some for me. And then anytime I visited home, she'd be like, here, take them with you back to college. So that was kind of nice uh, to be able to do that. Yeah. That's love. That's love. That is love. Yeah, truly. Also the opposite of love. Let's talk about some hate. What's your least favorite food? <laughs> My least favorite food? Dang. I hate lettuce. I don't understand why y'all be eating <laughs> crispy water. I don't get it. I, like, think, I, I really... think that's the first time we've ever heard that one. Wow. Iceberg lettuce or all lettuces, like butter lettuce, those type, like gem, you know, little gem lettuce, those things too. Personally, all lettuce, but iceberg mm. is like my mortal enemy. I just, yeah. I see that. I'm like, there's no way. Get that lettuce yeah. out of my sandwich. No, uh, absolutely not. Or no. Yeah. yeah, I can't handle that. Wow. I, I feel that. <laughs> like, I, I, I think iceberg lettuce is like the equivalent of like a piece of paper. Like there's, it doesn't taste like anything. It is, it's just filled with water. Like, I don't get it. I don't get iceberg lettuce. It's texture, guys. It's texture. Come on. I would rather somebody just go and get ice cubes out of the fridge and eat that because that's pretty <laughs> much it. <laughs> yeah, he's right. It just, all it does is it dilutes the flavor of whatever it's touching. It's really, iceberg lettuce is like the worst. I, I will say this. Like when I go to like a good deli or a sandwich shop, mm-hmm. I don't want lettuce, especially if they have like spinach or something. Cause I was like, ah, oh, I can sneak in some nutrition, right. you know, to fill, fill the texture card with nutrition versus just kind of texture. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, you're grown. Go get arugula. Like get, right. spinach, yeah, you know? exactly. like, get, get a real green. <laughs> Be an adult. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Who is someone out there that you want to talk to on a podcast? Ooh, dead or alive? Either one. Yes. Mm -hmm. I've always had infatuation with Muhammad Ali. I had uh, his poster growing up uh, on my wall. I read a ton of books about him. I did many class presentations about Muhammad Ali. And I just think that he is such a fascinating person outside of his boxing career, mm-hmm. just what he stood for, mm-hmm. his individualism, his self-confidence. I think for me growing up, he was someone that I always wanted to be in the sense of, oh, I wish I had that same sort of self-confidence that he had. So I think he would be the person that I would uh, I would definitely want to talk to on a podcast. I got one random thing about that to tell you. So I was at the library the other day. And I'd, I'd already heard of this and I saw it on the shelf. So I just got it. In 1978, DC published a comic book called Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Yes. And, yeah. Um, and I kind of, I've always rolled my eyes at it because I didn't, I was like, oh, really? Come on. And it's totally a marketing gimmick from back in the day. But to read not just the comic, but the forward, you know, when you get a graphic novel, like, you know, 30 years later, 40 years later, people are like talking about what this meant in the culture when it came out and who he was. It was just, and, and the role that he played in the production of the comic, just such a fascinating guy. I'd highly recommend Superman versus Muhammad Ali. I, it's, uh, it was just kind of like on a whim. I read it and thinking it'd just be kind of like a funny passing thing to read, but it's just really blown away by the thoughtfulness uh, in which it was created. Yeah. I need to check out that comic. I've seen the cover, like the cover of the comic on Google images. Um, yeah. And I've always wanted to, to snag a copy. Yeah, check it out. So, so Danny, last question. What does being a modern minority mean for you? It means being yourself. You know, it just means being your, your whole self unabashedly. It means embracing every part of who you are. It means sharing every part of who you are. It means just being unafraid to say, you know what? Yeah, this is who I am. If you don't like it, then... F up. What do you want me to do? I can't change that. 
Mm. I'm always doing a V Lebanese. I cannot change that about myself. Mm-hmm. And so how can I embrace it? How can I be one with it and then showcase how beautiful we are as a culture, as a people to others and then learn from each other? So I think it's just feeling confident in who you are and embracing every part of who you are. That's beautiful, man. Well, Danny, thanks so much for not just spending some time with us, but for, you know, continuing to to put the love out there and just kind of put great work and like what we do I and mean, like just highlighting other people's stories and, and kind of making it relatable for folks. I think it means a lot. And it's really important work. No, thank you both. This is, this is such a fun conversation. I love y'all. I love this podcast. I love what y'all do. And let's do this again. And that's our show. Like what you heard, please subscribe, leave a review and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us. Hi, mom at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. I've been Raman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.